This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. (laughs) Fansets. We are Star Trek. Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my god, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. From a derelict recording studio somewhere in outer space in the Alpha Quadrant, it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. Greetings, one and all. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. We're so psyched you're here. This is episode number 197. We're just three away from the Magic 200, which we're looking very forward to. And of course, by we, I do mean my co-host and I. You know, when I think of words to associate to my co-host, Dan Davidson. Peak and performance would never be put together in the same sentence. Um, he is the <laughs> he's the largely low-performing and bottom-feeding Dan Davidson. And Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. Maybe, maybe we can get this bucket of bolts going, huh? Bye-bye, Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good to be here. 197. Where did that come from? It just feels like yesterday we were doing a hostage tape. Oh, that's right. I was. I'm sorry. Uh, let's move along to something else. Every time I record with you, it's a hostage tape. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to say that. No, it's great. Episode 197. Good episode of TNG to talk about. I'm sitting here with you. What else could a guy ask for, buddy? Well, uh, in addition to talking about peak performance, the season two next gen episode, we're going to be joined by a great friend of ours. So that's what makes it better. It makes it even better. Yes. Uh, game, ma- the game master, just the title in, in itself. He should like wear a cape. Yeah. He's the, uh, are you the gatekeeper? Uh, I knew I, yeah. Go- Gozar the Gozir. And that's what I'm going to call him from now on. I'm going to call him Gozar Garcia. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Game Master of Trek, ne- Trek, Trek Geeks Game Night, Dan Garcia is going to join us to talk peak performance, which is awesome because there's some there's something in this episode that's very important to Trek Geeks Game Night. <laughs> very, very important. Very. Um, it, it's amazing, you know, of all the things you could have said just now. You got Gozar the Gozarian, but you couldn't get Trek Geeks out trip over my own tongue from time to time uh yeah that's that's your peak performance right there your special ability is mangling the english language mangling (laughs) is a neural mangalism (laughs) very nice i like that speaking of mangling let's see how you can get through the contact information and tell everybody how they can get in touch with us 
Absolutely. If you're looking to get in touch with us, you can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you will find a plethora of ways to communicate with your two favorite geeks. Let's see. There's Skype chat. There's email. There's even voicemail via that big blue button using SpeakPipe. Or you can catch a pigeon, tie a note to its leg, and send us off a message like that person that did it on an episode of Gilligan's Island once, if you remember that episode. I bet you don't. Uh, plus, there's the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook, Camp Kittimer. It's our official group, and it's where the talk is always positive, with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, thank you to our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Gozar the Gozarian Dan Garcia for the amazing job they do running the camp. Also, please remember that the comments or messages that leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. I'd like to turn it back to Bill Smith right over there. I didn't screw it up once, buddy. How can you talk at that rate of speed and not mess up but talk normally and sound like you've you're hammered i don't know Dan, it's that time of the show where we like to tell all our listeners about our great friends at Fansets. You know, their dedication to bring you the very best products available has never been more apparent than this past week, to be honest. On social media, they announced the reason for the delay in a couple of Star Trek pins and had photos to tell the story. You know, they tried using a different manufacturer for some pins, and the results truly were less than satisfactory. So instead of releasing a subpar product, they scrapped the entire lot of pins and started from scratch because, I mean, they know that Star Trek fans deserve the very best swag. You know, I got to say, stories like this really make me appreciate the whole Fansets team even more, buddy. Absolutely. I know I appreciate them for everything they do, all the new pins they have coming out soon. Lou, John, and everyone over at Fansets, you know, Bill, they love Discovery just as much as you and I do. And you know what else they like, buddy? They like the bridge crew of the USS Disco. That is right. We are proud to be the first to announce that coming soon, you will be able to add Lieutenant Reese... Lieutenant Bryce, and Lieutenant Nilsson to your Fansets collection. We've seen the concept art, and as always, they look absolutely fantastic. Additionally, from the upcoming Picard show, Jean-Luc Picard donning his Admiral uniform as recently unveiled at Destination Star Trek in Birmingham, England, uh, will be available. It looks phenomenal, and it makes me more excited for the new Star Trek series, Bill. I know exactly what you mean. I, those pins look so great, and I can't wait to get them in my grubby little hands. But in the meantime, as always, for our Trek Geeks listeners, if you want to get 15% off your entire order at fansets.com, you can simply use the word HATHAWAY at checkout this week in all capital letters. That's H-A-T-H-A-W-A-Y. This bonus code is going to be available for you to use until Tuesday, November 19th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Standard Time. Also, Dan, you know, for the last couple of weeks, we've been gathering tweets for those people who entered our huge Fansets Women of Trek collector set contest. We got a whole bunch of tweets with people telling us who their favorite Woman of Trek is. And right now, buddy, one lucky listener is going to be adding a very special set of pins to their Star Trek collection. 
I, I still can't get over this, dude. This is just phenomenal. Uh, we were floored when Lou said he wanted to do a contest for our Kira episode a couple of weeks ago. And the love for the women of Trek was apparent with all of the responses that we've received. So just earlier this week, Bill and I selected one random winner from all of the tweets that we received. And we would like to congratulate at BJP211 who said that Captain Janeway was their favorite woman of Trek. BJP, you are the big winner of the Women of Trek framed collector set. So shoot us a message and we can get your shipping info. And thank you so much for uh, taking part in the contest and supporting Fansets. And actually, thank you so much to Fansets for providing this amazing prize for the contest. They really are Star Trek. And we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, Dan, we draw nigh and gather to examine a late season two episode of Next Gen. This is actually the the last fully originally scripted episode before the writer strike occurred, because the episode after this is Shades of Grey. And of course, today we're going to talk about peak performance. Yes, peak performance is a good episode, man. And draw of nigh. What was that? You're drawing we're going a knife? to draw nigh. I don't know what that means. It's because you're an idiot. <laughs> Speaking of idiots, oh, <laughs> we have a wow. special guest joining us on the podcast today, and and he is a, a a key part of our Trek Geeks family, Dan. Absolutely, he is. He is the game master for the Trek Geeks game night. Uh, he leads the crew of the USS Hathaway, who has and that ship has kind of an important uh, role in this episode peak performance. But this one right here, he's the game master, like I said, um, and this is his third appearance on the Trek Geek Podcast. I don't know what we're doing wrong. We're going to have to fix something about that. He is Dan Garcia. Dan, it is it is good to see you again. You are the lord of Dan Manor, sir. <laughs> uh, third time, guys. Yeah, I appreciate it. But yes, I agree. I'm starting to wonder, uh, what kind of talent are you trying to pull here? <laughs> the third time's either a charm or an omen. We're going to see what happens tonight. Um, it would be nice if on one of these appearances you brought your A-game at some point. <laughs> you didn't pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paying for it every time you're on the show. Just, uh, no, we uh, we want to congratulate you and the entire crew of the Hathaway on Trek Geeks Game Night. Uh, you guys just released your seventh episode this past weekend, and um, it, it's quite a fun time. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Trek Geeks Game Night as a whole, and then we'll talk about uh, the Hathaway itself. Okay, so Trek Geeks Game Night came about, uh, I kind of pitched it to you guys, and at the same time you guys, that sounds like a great idea, and uh, we brought together a group of six people to do Star Trek Adventures, a Modifius uh, offering for RPG, for Star Trek, and uh, basically, for the most part, we just run a once a month game trying to get the Hathaway a background that Star Trek never applied to it. 
That's really kind of cool. I, I like what you guys bring to the lore of that ship. I, I enjoy the particular adventures you guys go on. This uh, this most current one is is actually quite interesting. I haven't heard made it through the whole thing yet because it's uh, it's up on our YouTube channel, and I had to record some some silly little podcast tonight. But uh, I know, I know, right? Um, but what was it that kind of inspired the choice of the Hathaway, since that's really the the central ship here in uh, Peak Performance? So. I wanted to use a ship that that the general Star Trek fandom would would uh, recognize, but yet at the same time wouldn't have this big background that we could accidentally break lore on. So I stuck with the Hathaway, seeing that they basically showed it on the show, uh, broken down. So in its final stages, so basically we could pretty much get away with anything we want to do with it. And in fact, just in case if the crew accidentally broke it we go that's what happened to it when it went in the reserves <laughs> you said break lore i thought data's brother was going to be on i'm sorry <laughs> i thought that was code for something else I'm sorry. i was looking for the air freshener <laughs> I, I gotta say it's really amazing uh listening to you guys it's 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 something that I still haven't gotten used to as I listen. That you are there. Everybody on the crew is so. It's like they're not there. It's the, it's the actual crew members. I love the way that the dialogue goes. I love the way that you uh, the, that you run the show, Dan. Uh, congratulations on the success. Congratulations on the newest one, and it's Klingon centric, which is very cool. Um, I can't wait to start listening. I'm going to start it on my uh, commute into work tomorrow. Yeah, uh, this one's Klingon centric, and uh, we definitely. Bringing up the story, we have to compliment Chris Mumphrey on his gathering that story. That's most. That's pretty much him. I'm just guiding them through the story he presented for the crew. So this one's uh, this one's heavily relied on him. This right. this puts us in a precarious position because yeah. now we have to give Mumphrey compliments, and you know how he gets. Never mind. I'm not listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just kidding, Chris. Yeah. We know you're going to listen to this. We love you, and and we thank him for his contributions as well as the whole crew of the uh, of the Hathaway. You can find Trek Geeks Game Night on our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com/slash/TrekGeeks or over on TrekGeeks.com. Um, where you will get to see Dan's beautiful face if you load up one of those bad boy episodes. They're pretty fantastic. So, gentlemen, let's talk about the USS Hathaway and peak performance. Uh, as I mentioned, season two episode, uh, right before Shades of Grey. I, I think that, and this is just my feeling as I've kind of rewatched uh, season two over the last couple of months, uh, I think season two is actually a lot stronger than I remember on a variety of levels. Um, what about you guys? How has, how has time changed your perception of TNG season two? Uh, Mr. Davidson, we'll begin with you. Well, I haven't watched a lot of season two lately. Um, I did watch this one, of course, in preparation for the podcast. And I got to say, I love the episode, um, even with Pulaski in it, because everybody knows how I feel about Pulaski. Um, she actually has a strong part in this episode. She does a good job. There are so many things that I love about this episode. There are a couple of things that I don't like, which we'll get into later. But if season two, if, if this episode is any indication of what the rest of season two is when I rewatch it, I think I'll be pretty happy with what I see. It's just I haven't seen a lot of the early TNGs in quite a while. Uh, Dan Garcia, I know you were, you're a big Deep Space Niner like we are. Um, has your thoughts about TNG Season 2 altered over time? Or, or how, how does it you know, play in your fandom these days? Season 2, I'm not a big compo- or a 
component. Wow. I am not a big proponent of season two just because uh, they eat. Well, like I said, we'll cover this uh, in in the actual breakdown when we go through it. But there are several things about season two that almost conflict. In fact, in this this exact episode, there was a couple lines I saw that conflict with itself just internally. And I think that's a lot to do with they weren't quite sure where they were going to go with the series yet. Um, we still had a big gene influence, and uh, the writers were inconsistent. They were still very heavily episodic, even though TNG overall was episodic in the whole run. But they still, they, later on in the seasons, they started having that tie-in. The only thing they mentioned here was the Borg was about the only thing I saw carry over from this episode. And that in itself is amazing because you figure you mentioned the episodic nature, and you're 100 percent right about that. I mean, Star Trek was was very rarely self-referential. Um, it happens in season one a couple of times, you know, when Remick is around, um, and that that's really the extent of it. But in, in season two, you can tell they kind of get to developing. Uh, I don't want to say canon because I just I I hate employing the word, but uh, really building out this world and i think that's one of the things i enjoy the reference to the borg i had actually forgotten about in this episode because you know when it starts you're like really a war game a war game but then when you think about it in that context you know they, they starfleet knows that it has to do something um because it's primarily an exploration um group for all you know for all intents and purposes um they have to hone those tactics and those skills in order to be able to fight the borg dan davidson absolutely i don't have anything to say to that <laughs> wow, that's a first. I've left you speechless. No, I do. I do. I, I I agree with what Dan says. To to, for the most part, yeah, they really only mention one thing that continues along in the rest of the series, and that's the board. I like that they did it. They did it subtly, which kind of they didn't kind of put it in your face. And I thought that was a good aspect of why they were doing these war games. And and you know, Picard's right. They're an exploration—the Federation uh, are explorers. They're not military. So I understand his hesitation to want to do these war games, but I also like the way that he that he brought the Borg into the reason why they were going to do it. I thought that was pretty cool. Does anybody else think it's weird that Starfleet keeps a bunch of old starships around to do these things with? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later, I think, mm. too. <laughs> And it's completely deserted. It's like the old, um, in the desert where all the old airplanes just sit. That's kind of what this is like. And we see that later on in the, uh, in the, um, uh, Spock episode, Unification. We see that. All the which starships just hanging around. Which also has like a, a Zach Dorn guy. It's absolutely does. Yeah. It's, yeah. Good point. On that, that aspect with Starfleet doing it, I mean, that's not unheard of, of navies doing that. When I went, to my A school, which was in San Francisco, we used to cross a bridge to go on to my uh, island where we taught my entry-level school. The The riverway that we crossed over, there were literally old Farragut and Farragut-class destroyers and some old old gunboats just sitting there, and that's what they were there for. They would take them out, tow, tow them out in the middle of the, the ocean, they'd shoot at them, and if they still floated, they'd bring them back, so... I mean, Starfleet doing it seems a little odd, but yet at least in the mimicking of of U.S. militaries, or I'm sorry, world militaries, it's not unheard of. That's really interesting. I had no idea that that occurred. It, that kind of makes me alter my view of that particular aspect just the tiniest bit. I can see them doing it inside our solar system or maybe a neighboring one, um, but all the way out here, it just seems kind of odd because how did the Hathaway get there? 
Mm. <laughs> and you're just going to leave a Federation vessel just out there by itself and orbit around a planet? In in my head canon, there's totally this warp speed tug that towed it all the way out there. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> nice. A, a warp speed tug. So the Voyager. No, I'm kidding. Wow. Oh, I'm kidding. Oh, Mr. Oh. Completist. Just remember, <laughs> all complaints reference Dan and Bill. Dan, that's <laughs> Dan Garcia. <laughs> Host of Trek Geeks Game Night, throw your complaints <laughs> at him. Um, I have to say, the Zach Doran really seemed kind of cool. Um, this guy seems a little uh, weird. I love Kolrami. I, I love him too, uh, but he 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 kind of is a little <laughs> weird. Uh, and when this first came on, I, I kept referring to him as Droopy Face um, because he just seemed like he the bags under his eyes had bags, which is the way his cheeks look. But you know, you figure that this is a race of people that um, is, is very, based on the other Zach Dorn we've seen, um, very structured, very methodical, very orderly. And to think that this guy is a strategy expert, I guess, really doesn't surprise me in hindsight. Um, but he's certainly not what you expect when he comes on board the Enterprise, uh, wouldn't you say, Dan Davidson? He's he's quirky. He's, pe- <laughs> he's peculiar. He's C. McCall Rami. <laughs> I, I think that the uh, that this character is great. I really wished that we had seen more of him. I love the little nuances. I promised I wouldn't do it throughout the whole podcast, Bill. But just whenever he says something, he ends it all with a <laughs> and he just kind of like puts his hands up and waves and walks away. I just thought he was hilarious. I every scene that he's in is a great scene. Um, the makeup was great, even the, you know, the bags and, and just the, the way at the end of the episode when he kind of just slaps the guy at the security station on the back and just kind of walks around. He made me laugh in this episode, which is good because there are some ten mo- tense moments in this episode. Right, Garcia? Yes, uh, but I watched an HD conversion. It's the makeup in the HD conversion was a little clunky. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But... But at the same time, I mean, it was designed for the good old 80s television, so we wouldn't have saw all those mistakes. Uh, it, it was very strange to have somebody that was a strategy expert and partially a strategy expert in military tactics and then turn around and be so arrogant because, wow, you just want to go, okay, dude, you're great, but uh, you need to beef up on your, your lifts and stuff because it looks like somebody just smushed you if you pissed them off and upset them enough. <laughs> you know, I, there's two things that get me about, well, one about the makeup and then one about the character. In the act one scene where they're in the uh, the observation lounge and he's talking, uh, Karami's talking to Picard and Riker, there's a point where he keeps putting his head down and you see the top of his head and you very clearly see where the makeup line ends. Yeah. And so you see his sort of pasty white tone from his hairline down, and then you see his natural human skin tone through his thinning hair going from about the, the top of his hairline all the way back on the rest of his head. And in high def, that's a little distracting. I got to Go say that I noticed that 
during the conversation he was having in the captain's ready room about why he disliked Riker when he was over at the fishbowl. He kept looking down a little bit. And I did notice it, but I kind of I took it as, oh, okay, Zach Dorn have funny-looking scouts. I just didn't really worry about it too much. Yeah, it, it, does, it didn't yeah. take me out of it or anything, but in high def, it was absolutely much more noticeable than it was in standard def. So you, you bring up a great point there, Mr. Garcia. So already your, your, your appearances here are trending upward on Trek Geeks. <laughs> One other thing I want to bring up before you chime in is that you, you mentioned um, his arrogance. And I have to agree with that 100% because he keeps coming back to the doctrine of acceptable losses, which isn't really what Starfleet's about per se, and certainly not what Picard's about. Agreed, agreed. And just for a side thing, you brought up Riker for a second. So I was watching the episode on, on my computer, of course, and I have a, a monitor above me. So I'm, I was doing something on the lower screen and this episode started and I looked up, and Riker at the very beginning, where he's walking in the Zach Dorn up the up the Halo or up the mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. up the uh, yeah horseshoe, he was completely leaned forward. It looked like he's about to tip over, almost to the point like he was at like a fifteen degree angle walking up that horseshoe. And I'm like, wow, that is, and it, and and is almost it, it, that's acting for you because you're like he's pushing forward because he wants to hurry up and get this guy there, even if you had never seen the episode yet. You're like. Something's up about this guy because Riker just wants to get away from him as fast as possible. <laughs> well, it's, they're two very interesting characters in the way they move from point A to point B. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, and I'm going to, this is something I'm going to surprise Dan Davidson with right now. So, uh, as you know, we're doing Trek Geeks Live in April of 2020 at the Bank of New Hampshire stage in Concord, New Hampshire, Sunday, April 26th. I'm going to commit to doing a demonstration of the Riker walk <laughs> live on stage in front of an audience Yes, that, that night. That better be recorded for those of us that have to uh, be home <laughs> that night. It sounds like you need to get your butt out to New Hampshire. That's all I'm saying. Um, so I, I just decided that just now because thinking about the way Riker was watching Kolrami and then thinking about how Riker moves. Yeah, we're doing the Riker. I'm doing the Riker walk in Concord. I'm just saying and I was, right now. I was act- I'm so glad that you said that, Bill, because as I was watching this the other night with Sue, there's a scene where they're both heading into 10 forward for the Stratagema match. And he's doing the Riker walk so full on. And I'm like, oh, my God, Bill just does that perfectly. So I'm very excited. That's great. <laughs> so yet I digress. I apologize for that, but I just had that notion and that idea right now. So add the Riker walk to the list of reasons why you should attend uh, more about that later. Um, Riker, I, I got to give it to Riker, you know, because here's a guy who's about to take command of this derelict vessel or what amounts to a derelict vessel. It's broken down, hasn't been used. It's got, I don't know, covers over the consoles which i don't understand either but you know it's got it's got fiber optic cable you know just being pulled out of the ceiling but he he and the and the broken components on the floor when they did that thing yeah i I literally have a note that says wow the components of the hathaway look like a broken down motherboard from the 80s i was gonna say (laughs) it looks like somebody took apart riker's tivo Hashtag Riker's TiVo. Uh, but Riker decides to challenge Kolrami to a game of Stratagema, uh, at which Kolrami is apparently a third-level grandmaster, whatever that means. Um, it's good. He's a little bit good. And Riker goes into this knowing he's going to get his butt kicked, yep. but goes anyway. And I think that tells us a lot about Riker. The one person he doesn't tell anyone anything to is Kolrami. 
because he, he doesn't factor that into his assessment of Riker. Uh, he chooses to dislike him despite the fact that Riker has told him something very, very pivotal about his character, Dan Davidson. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's. <laughs> I love that that conversation that that Jordy and and Riker are having on the way to the match. Well, you, you you're not gonna you're gonna beat him, right? Nope. nope. Uh, you you have a chance, don't you? Ah! I mean, it's just it's just a great <laughs> it's just a great conversation. And then Riker tells Kolrami, or, or did he tell Jordy? I kind of I might be thinking of a, a different scene. Just the. Just the honor of playing against someone that is that good at this game is considered the best of the best of the best with honors, your honor, um, I think is a great is a great moment for Riker. But you're right. Karami doesn't care because he doesn't like Riker. He's already made a judgment. Yeah. It's like playing touch football with Tom Brady, um, knowing that you're going to get your butt handed to you. But you do it anyway because Karami is the equivalent of Tom Brady in that world. So, um, Dan, how do you think you do against Karami and Stratagema? Well, since the game looks like something out of a 19, 1980s uh, Quix game, you, you, Atari 5200 used to have a game called Quix, and it was literally you block off, and if you complete a complete block, Love that colored game. it. Yep. Oh, yeah. Love that game. That's exactly what it looks like in 3D. So since I was pretty good at that game, I might have had a chance. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed you think you would have come close. <laughs> why not? I mean, I'm not cool as Riker, but I made it to at least the 28th step or move or whatever it was. Because what do you do? <laughs> you lost a 27, I think it was, or something like yes. that? Yes. It was in the 20s. I know that. Yeah. I know. He, he is there, and you know, Riker's looking at you know, like, yeah, yeah, this is great. Karami's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> at Worf's looking on. Aaron from 24 is looking yes. on. <laughs> um, Data's standing back there going, what, what, what is this? Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's a great little moment, but I think it sets up the, the larger Data arc in this story, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, not for the game with Kolrami or the, the two games with Kolrami, but for how it makes Data doubt himself. Um, and plus you get one of the, the best Picard quotes ever that's, uh, that's ever been memed out of this episode, Dan Davidson. I, I don't like the Data arc in the story. I'm going to be honest. Really? Why not? I, I just don't like it. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's unnecessary. Um, I, I understand I understand Pulaski saying, wait a minute, a computer just lost to flesh and blood, but I don't understand Data self-doubting his abilities. He's a computer. He does not doubt. And so I just I just felt that that aspect of the storyline was something it was more of a of a tiresome plot line for me in this episode with everything else going on. And I know I'm probably in the minority when I say that it was just something that I didn't care for. And, and I love I love giving um, Deanna Troy and, and Dr. Pulaski grief. Um, as I was joking with Sue when we were watching the other night, Troy comes in and goes, oh, and she does her little speech. And and he's like, nope, sorry, it's not working. And she just looks defeated and walked away. And I'm like, hey, nice job, counselor. Way to get him going again. And then Pulaski comes in and does the same thing. And he goes, nope, sorry. And she leaves dejected. And I'm like, nice job, doctor. Way to get him going again. And it's just like, wow, really? He's an android. If he's, if he's going to react that way to the people trying to help him, why is he acting that way to what happened in the game? It's just something that doesn't click with me. Interesting. Mr. Garcia, what say you? So the data thing was, was I thought, a little contrived. Okay. It was, so it, it almost felt like it was necessary to pad the episode with it because he doubts himself 
even though he shouldn't be able to doubt himself because he should be able to self-check himself and let him know that there's nothing wrong. And that's like why he's so mechanically superior is because he is self-aware. And then there was a spot where they come up there to, to Picard and they're like, hey, just to let you know, Data's got some issues. And he's like, uh, the exact line is, uh, oh, I have to handhold an android now? And I was like, wow, dude, that's your second officer. So... That's kind of short. And the thing is, that's not the actor's fault as much as it the the series had quite established the outline of Picard. They knew he they wanted to be a diplomat, but that wasn't very diplomatic. No, that's that's true. It wasn't. I, I actually am kind of entertained by that that B story, even though I may not have been as much before. I think I actually enjoy it more now, which I was kind of surprised by. So. You all are just stupid doo-doo heads. Um, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the solution that Data has later in the episode um, where he reevaluates his own tactics and says, all right, I played to win before. That didn't work out so well. What if I don't? Which is its own fantastic strategy because that's what his opponent is expecting, which really is kind of what this whole episode is about. You know, it's, it's about finding a way to to defeat your opponent with something they least expect. And that happens on, on three different levels in this episode, which is kind of cool. I, I like that he played to achieve a constant stalemate. Um, it struck me as, as being very kind of outside the box and probably what he tried, should have tried to have done before. Um, do you think that if they just shortened that whole B story and just gone with that, Dan, do you think you would have liked it better? Yeah, I think so. I think the whole thing in his quarters was stretched out a little bit, and it kind of it kind of took away from the excitement of the rest of the episode for me. If they shortened that up by five, seven minutes, it, it probably would have had a very different effect with me. I'm assuming. I see you shaking your head there, Lord of Dan Manor, um, or it, nodding in agreement, I should say. Yeah, I the the recovery, even the him losing the first time and the recovering and everything else that that aspect of the B line was good that little scene or partial scene where the whole self-doubting that was uh, that wasn't i don't think necessary or they could have i mean obviously budget wise i'd like to see more with the ship maneuvers and stuff like that but again budget stuff but that whole little thing about him self-doubting wasn't necessary to get to the point where he did uh, at winning they could have used that in a different they could have came at a different angle it does give us one of the best Picard quotes ever in all of Star Trek. Um, and it's one that I've liked ever since this aired in, in uh, 89. Um, you know, uh, making no mistakes and still losing, you know, is, isn't failure. It's, it's part of life. Right. And I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing to some extent, but um, I think it's an important lesson. It's one I, I think the data has to learn, but I think you're right. I think they could have gotten to that in a different way, potentially in a different episode. Um, but I do love that moment because I, I think that it, it's, it's what mission log likes to call the, you see Timmy. Um, it's the bonk bonk on the head moment, but I'm glad that they gave that line to Picard because it, it shows that that wisdom had to be dispensed. So speaking of wisdom that needed to be dispensed, um, so I'm often critical of season one of season one of next gen, by talking about Wesley Trek. And that's the concept where the teenager saves the ship in at least five or six episodes in season one. I think what happens in this episode is much better by comparison because it, it 
Wesley gets to participate as part of the team, but doesn't necessarily uh, get the hero moment. And I see Mr. Davidson's head about to explode and that blood vessel is about to just pop right out of his head. I have two huge issues with this episode. And the first one is Wesley. Wesley cheated in this episode. And he can say he improvised as much as he wants. When you see his reaction when he's able to sneak out that experiment with the little grin and he broke the rules in order to get that experiment over to the Hathaway so that they could have that um, power available for the warp jump. No matter how many ways you slice it, to me, he cheated, and that's not a Wesley that I would expect. That's I have a huge problem with that aspect of the episode. I, I don't look at it as cheating I, because you know the goal was to defeat your opponent and to be creative doing it. Um, the worst part is, is that Picard says, yes, you can do it because he doesn't anticipate that Wesley is going to do something like that. Even Reichler, Reichler, even Reichler, Reichler? Says he, even Riker says he cheated um, until he goes, no, sir, I improvised. It's like Spock saying he exaggerated. I mean, I just. It, eh, well, I just Riker, th- Riker told him he had to improvise. Right. But Riker, but then he said you cheated. So there's a, to me, there's a difference between improvisation and cheating. And I think Wesley broke the rules that were established in this, uh, the way that he handled that. And I also thought it was extremely funny that Aaron from 24 always looked like they were about to get attacked by like uh, <laughs> Hungarian dung beetles or something like that while he was looking at that experiment. I just think that's hilarious. Hungarian <laughs> dung beetles? <laughs> Uh, is there such a thing as a Hungarian? Dog? I don't know. I was thinking of Aldebaran Shellmouth, but it came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Oh. Nope. <laughs> I, no. I just, I'm going to let this go. Okay. Um, uh, Mr. Garcia, what about you? Um, uh, did he cheat? Did he improvise? Did he cheat to improvise or improvise to cheat? Well, I was all down for it until he basically, he lied. To get it off the ship. I mean, up to a point, it'd be like, oh man, this experiment is so bad. I'm just going to go ahead and take this with me. Or, hey, this experiment is going to, let me go take it over to the ship so I can monitor it while I'm over there. Oh, okay. Then he didn't have to lie. He literally would have took it over there. Now he's like, no, no, it's dead. Let me go ahead and transfer. No, see, now, now you went that, that extra step too far. However, using that, they didn't concentrate on him. He brought it over there. It was added, and they didn't make him stand there in front and go, look at me. I'm the bestest, smartest kid ever. They didn't do that, so I, I, I'm 50-50 on it. I, I get what you're saying. I look at it as they, they underestimated their opponent. Um, and that in Burke is just dumber than a stump because <laughs> if he bought Wesley's rationale for, oh, I'm going to just beam this into space particleized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, kid. Yeah. All right. Okay, you're a 14-year-old. Here's a transporter. Go ahead and knock yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't really fault Wesley um, because you know the goal of this was to be unpredictable, and he did something that nobody predicted he would do. Um, but I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I don't look at it necessarily as cheating. Um, it's, it's not like he reprogrammed the test <laughs> to save the ship. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and, and Kirk did that and got a combination for original thinking. So, um, I, I I can see where you're coming from, even if I'm not on board. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I agree I, that you're wrong. 
<laughs> um, I am turning off your microphone now. No. Um, I, I, I have to admit that, um, you know, Riker gets all excited. Hey, you guys are you guys are better than good. Great, brilliant. Oh wait, it's only going to be like a two second warp jump. What the? If it even works. If it even works. <laughs> it could blow out half the relays on the ship. We don't know. Yeah. But hey, you could have two seconds. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> um, Riker amasses quite the crew. You know, he's got Worf, who, who seems to uh, to be able to hack into anything on the Enterprise. What, what a shock they wouldn't change the codes once Worf left. Oh, wait. I would have thought they would have. Wait, he hacked in the Enterprise, which is okay since he had the codes. Oh, but then he hacked away my into... big moment. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, yeah, let... I may as well finish it out. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. But then he then he hack hacks into the Ferengi ship. Like they they broadcast their codes. Hey, we're gonna come attack you. By the way, here's our codes. Go ahead and log in when you're ready. Well, if it helps, the Ferengi password was probably password one. Uh, <laughs> they threw the one in. I'm proud of them. Yeah, since, yeah. Uh, since we're on that topic, that is the biggest detractor for me for this episode. Everything is everything in this episode is great. I can even look over Wesley cheating a little bit. I cannot pass that fact up that Worf is able to manipulate the sensors of the Enterprise because he knows the security codes. How in the world is he able to know the security codes of the Krichta and be able to change them to make it think that there's a vessel... On, that just I'm sorry that is a huge mistake in the episode and just does not work and it's it's a very important part of the episode so that happening like that I'm sorry that was just that was bad bad writing yeah that's that's kind of a hard one to get past you know I, I can believe that the Ferengis aren't as smart okay it's not like we're dealing with the Paclids though um, you know they, are, I, they do have starships they do have starships it's not like TAS where we had an inflatable starship I mean, at least it wasn't that, but um, I do have, I do agree with that issue in this particular mode. Um, but yeah, Worf, uh, maybe Wesley could have done that. Um, um, I, I have a hard time believing Worf would be that guy, though. Worf can't even put together a wooden ship in his quarters when it's all dark. <laughs> Neither can you. Look, did you two call each other? <laughs> Mr. Garcia <laughs> Mr. Garcia is holding up his notes, pointing to him like, I was going to say that. I was going to say that. You stole my thunder. I steal yours. <laughs> they made Worf a comedy act this episode. Uh, Be- yeah. Between him talking over Riker's shoulder, you know I have bet on that you have made it to the sixth level and I would be disappointed. I was like, wow. Oh, okay. So you... You're allowing allowing betting on a ship? That's that's new. Okay. And then, yeah, he kind of... Yeah, I, I mean, we're, 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 we're commenting about a 30, 30 almost 30 to the day, uh, year old episode, but they could have completely changed it, or changed it a little bit and said that they readjusted the sensor output to look like a different ship on the Hathaway because they thought the Hathaway at that point had been destroyed. And then right. it completely would have fit. That totally would have would have actually fixed that problem, but um, they chose to not do that. Look at you, Mister Science Officer. I know. <laughs> wow, it's like you write some of these things for like a, a, a Star Trek Adventures tabletop gameplay. I mean, that's amazing. You know, I'm not bald because I choose to be. It's all them brain cells that have burnt out. 
Yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> we won't talk about right. that. Yeah, yeah. We'll run a level two diagnostic on that one. <laughs> um, uh, Jordy, I think, is probably the MVP of of this whole endeavor. Um, just getting that bucket of bolts going. Um, there's really no way they should have been able to get this thing um, even remotely space worthy. But I think it's a testament to how good an engineer Jordy is. And I mean, I don't think we have the same respect for it all the time when he's on the Enterprise D, which is the, you know, the Federation flagship. It's, you know, it's new, it's beautiful. I think it took uh, serving on an 80 year old bucket of bolts to, uh, to really show some of Jordy's medal as an engineer. It was really good. I mean, I was I was engineering genius when they first got to the bridge and and it was all dark and he went over to the panel and pressed a button. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, way to go, Scotty. No, no, it's, 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 you're right though. I mean, it, it it was cool to see what they had to work with. I mean, I, I thought it was a very uh interesting and cool uh showing those little tiny pieces of dilithium crystals that is all they had left i thought that was a cool aspect and they were able to work with it by wesley cheating what do you think dan <laughs> so first off i'm sure my captain will be the captain of my series will be very disappointed to hear you call our ship bucket of bolts well it, it is it is in the now. future yeah so <laughs> back then it was it was pretty badass so <laughs> i say so a lot so sorry um so question what do you think of the four nacelle? I mean, oh, we is this is not the first time we've seen this thing, but this is only what like the fourth or fifth model we've seen for Federation at this point because we had the Excelsior, the Constitution, the Oberth, the Galaxy class, and then now this, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So what do you what do you think of that four nacelle on the Hathaways slash Stargazer? You think I'm it's not... a little 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 much? I. I... It makes me wonder why they didn't just put two really beefy nacelles on there. I I don't I don't know um, because you would think it's not the number of nacelles; it's it's the size of the warp core. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> okay, that was going in the archive. That was great. <laughs> uh, it's uh, I I don't get why a starship has more than two nacelles. Or even just one to sell. I, I don't get it. If 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 it can do it with one, why don't they all have one? Um, if it can do it with two, why don't they all just have two? Why do I need four? What is this kind of like? You know, like razors. You know, the number of blades just keep escalating. So we're we gonna see a starship with like eight or twelve nacelles out there at some point. Mm. Well, okay, so. The the two nacelle thing I always thought of it as a positive negative because it's supposed to be a gravitational alteration of time and space so positive negative oh <laughs> sorry but so <laughs> uh, the single I one think- that always confu- the single one always confused me now a four now how we how we talk about it and I don't remember if I found this canon or if it's something I did head canon um, the four nacelle was supposed this uh, we design or we say it's because uh to be able to sustain longer warp drive because you can turn two off and use other two and then they heat up and you flop them back and forth so it was able to sustain a uh, a higher speed longer distances without burning out the coils on an earlier designed ship that's how we explain it in in, uh trek geeks um game night i don't remember if it's canon or not I have I like I like the way it looks. I especially like the way it looks in this episode, which sounds weird, but 
Stargazer, I've never been impressed with. But in this episode, and I actually I like it so much I use it for the album cover this week, I really like the way the ship looks in this episode. Maybe it's because of the, you know, the HD version or or it's, it's come along a little bit because it's now in season two. I don't know, but I like it. I think it gives something different. I always like seeing different things in starships, no matter how weird they may be or they're hard to explain. So I'm all for this one. I thought it was pretty cool. I, yeah, I kind of – I kind of – I agree with you. For some reason, it looks like this season, they might have touched up the model from the first season because yeah, it looked maybe. a lot cleaner. Yeah. Even though exactly. it wasn't, I mean, even though it was HD when we were watching it, but I, even on the old old output, I thought it looked like it, they touched it up since the first season. Yeah, it's, it's a design that often makes me scratch my head because it is so different from the rest of the shows we see. And next gen, you know, it's got the really sort of wide saucer because that's really, you know, the only space there is. It's got the shuttle bays on the sides of the saucer, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Well, that and apparently, like I said, fiber optic cable just, uh, you know, everywhere that you can just rip down. It's better than rocks. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, and that stuff that was on the console that that Worf sat at, like on top. I'm not sure what was going on with that. It looked like he was supposed to like plant herbs in there or something. Um, But I thought that was kind of bizarre as well. I I appreciate that you know they were able to get this thing up and running enough to play a little laser tag game. (laughs) Because <laughs> um, that's really what this amounts to. Right. I have a hard time believing that, you know, they they had to disable all of the weapons on the ship just to play this little laser game. But it, it makes me ask this question. Okay, why can't they just do this in a holodeck? You know, why do they need to haul this ship all the way out there? Why can't they create a simulation that doesn't involve a situation like this to also test the strategic and battle readiness of their crews. And Mr. Garcia, I'm going to pose that to you first. Um, uh, why? Why? Well, okay. Again, I'll use real world navies. Uh, real world ships in today's world have the ability to computerize a whole uh, battle thing. And we could sit at, at pier and do it. The thing is, there is a certain amount of real world physics, real world uh, actions, real world time that a simulation doesn't actually take into effect. Crew going from point A to point B to do repairs. Uh, The effects of targeting systems in the actual physics of a ship moving in space. So that's what I think it is. I mean, simulation is good for, you know, 80 or 90%, but sometimes you still need to get in, just like in the real world today, you still got to get them ships out there and, and work as a team in the real world physics. Mr. Davidson, it would have been a boring episode if it was in the holodeck. Wow! Nothing ever goes because nothing ever goes wrong in the holodeck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would have been so boring. Wesley wouldn't have been able to cheat, and Worf wouldn't have been able to uh, show his his prowess and ingenuity for changing sensors on a starship that doesn't belong to the Federation and is not even really um, a threat to the Federation at that point. So, what you're saying is, you actually like this episode. I love this episode. I love this episode. <laughs> I know that's the thing we that we kind of have to remind ourselves about because despite those flaws, you you actually do love this episode a lot. <laughs> I do. It's it, that's one thing. I sorry to sorry to stop you there, Dan. That's one of the things I love. There can be things wrong with these episodes, but they're still awesome. And and this is a perfect example, Dan. I mean, just just saying, real quick blurb. 
at this point in the history of this tr- show so far, it's probably more dangerous to run it in the actual simulator <laughs> than it is to go, you know, run it in the holodeck than it is to take it out in space. <laughs> that's a good point. That, that's a really great point. Um, I, I think that we get a, a really good look here at, at who Riker is, too. Um, you know, uh, first season, I, I think Riker's really kind of uneven because I think they almost didn't really know how to write him. I think you re- season two, you see Riker, Riker settle in. He gets the beard. Um, and I think you get more of, you know, his charisma and his warmth. And I think that this episode goes a long way to establishing what kind of a leader he really is. He's not just the guy who walks with one shoulder down. He's not the guy who tends to bark at people. You know, he's a guy who inspires. And I think that's really one of the things I like about Riker in this episode. Well, that's one of the things that Picard has such a hard time with Colrani about uh, when they're in the ready room, remember? Is there, there, he's talking about, or Colrani's talking about how he has this, this added joviality, which makes it seem like he's, he's not mature enough to be command and he wasn't bred for it. And Picard says that that's one of his greatest uh, parts of, of who he is. And, and that's what I think uh, you're alluding to there, Bill, is that, is that yeah. they're really starting to bring that part of him out in the season. And it really shows in this episode. Mr. Garcia? Yeah, Riker's, uh, up to this point, Riker's leadership in the series has always been referenced in his past. He really he really doesn't do, hasn't done a whole bunch up to this point in the front line. Actually, on the screen, it's all been paper. This is probably the first we've actually seen him in a point of leadership and captaincy and with trust of getting a team together and be independent. Up to this point, yeah, he goes down... He goes down the to you know the planets and stuff like that, but you always have Picard going, "Hey, number one, what are you doing down there?" <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, quick uh, on the spot poll: um, Do you think that Picard would have knocked Colrami on his ass if he could have? No, Picard's not that type of person. He he seems to get really kind of annoyed with him when they're talking about acceptable losses. Oh, he gets he gets right in his face a couple of times in this episode, but I just don't think that that would be the type of thing that Picard would do, uh, simply because he this other guy has a bad attitude towards his first officer. That just doesn't strike me strike me as a Picard type of thing. I see what you did there. Yeah. Well, at that point for me, I think it was more about uh, more than being about Riker. It was about you know, um, the right thing to do. And Colrami asserted those people should just be left behind to die. Mm. And that's not something that sits well with Picard any day. Um, I I like to think that in in my head canon, um, Picard would have taken a, would have just hauled off and just punched him right in his, his descending eye bags. Um, (laughs) may not even felt it. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Hello. It'd be kind of like hitting Dan Davidson in the face, Aww. which I dream of every, every day, single day. Mm. One of these days, I'll let you. Oh, that would be awesome. Um, do the Ferengi actually stack up as a, an adversary in this episode, do you think? Oh, in this episode, I maybe a little bit more than anything before, but no. The answer is still no, um, just because Armin Shimmer, who does a great job as Black um, he's great in this. His number one is a moron, but um, uh, Armin does a great job. But th- there's still there's to me TNG. It was re- until until DS Nine the Ferengi are joke, uh, and they're the they're the they're the they were the joke until the Packlets came along. Um, and and this episode it doesn't it 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 may raise the bar a tiny bit, but not a whole lot. 
Dan? Yeah. No. I mean, if they weren't in, <laughs> if they weren't in simulation mode, uh, it wouldn't have even been in close. I mean, obviously it's it's a writer's thing, but I mean, and yeah, if they would have been in normal mode, it'd have been like, hey guys, saw you like two light years away. What's up? How you doing? Go away. Um, they got surprise shots. Uh, what's sad is we have two ships sitting there, and neither of them detected <laughs> the giant ship three times the size of the Enterprise until the last second or after they shot. That that's just sad. What What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> this, this makes no sense to us. Oh God! So you know we we get some great acting in this episode. I mean, not only do you get Armin Shimmerman, but you get David L. Lander in this episode as a Ferengi. And for those people who may not realize, he's Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. That was him. Yeah, that's him. For years, I thought that that David L. Lander was Kolrami. But it wasn't. That's Roy Brocksmith. It wasn't until the internet became a thing that I was able to look this up. But the tactical officer was David L. Lander, who okay. is best known as Squiggy. Hello, girls. I have to like now go back to what I said a minute ago, that he was an idiot, because I didn't know it was him. I like him. That's why now he's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but he's still dumb on this episode. No, absolutely he is. He absolutely is. He gets I a, he gets a proxy promotion. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He, he doesn't even really get a name in the episode. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he gets one later on in the uh, Star Trek customizable card game. But um, but yeah, uh, the guy who is on one of the, the most classic 70s TV series of all time makes an appearance here in a Ferengi head. And uh, wow. yeah, isn't that fantastic? That is amazing. Did not know that. There, see, there's your little trivia nugget for today, my friend. Yeah, I, um, yeah for years I thought that that he was Kolrami simply because of the hair, mm. you know, because you think of the way Kolrami's hair is, and that's kind of the way David Lander's hair looked in, 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 uh, Laverne and Shirley when he played Squiggy. Um, so yeah, that's just my little, my little, uh, divergence. Um, I have to say the most annoying line in this episode to me is this one. Bye bye Hathaway. <laughs> what the, <laughs> what? Yeah. It, it doesn't really strike me as being very Starfleet. Or, like, you know, hoping that, you know, it'll be a bad battle worthy of song, if Worf had said it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get why Worf says it. That's part of the whole Klingon thing. But uh, a human guy seems awfully uh, invested in this war game, you know? <laughs> Thanks, Burke. Really appreciate that. That's great. I thought you'd... Uh, that's just me, though. Um what other aspects of this episode do you really like, Mr. Garcia? Like? Uh, I like the I like the simulation part of it. I mean, I know you guys said it's weird for them to do it, but I I, I enjoy it. It's it's very entertaining to me seeing them seeing them uh do something that I did. I mean, that's like that's that's uh you know, Star Trek version of part of my life. So I thought that was entertaining. Um Overall, I like the episode except for that little thing with with um, Data and his I, I must be broken. And you're just like, oh come on, Data, really seriously. But the rest of the the rest of the episode, I really like. Oh, and the Ferengi coming in at the last second that nobody sees. Uh, come on, guys. But otherwise, it's it's a story. I enjoy it. All right, Dana. Anything else that really stands out about this episode to you? 
a very small thing that really stands out to me is is um, before the Ferengi show up, um, Aaron from 24 is at the security station and, and uh, Kolrami is right next to him. And Kolrami makes some disparaging comment towards Riker again. It's right before Picard calls him into his ready room. And, and Kalrami says whatever he says about, oh, Riker's not going to do anything. Blah, blah. And the look that Aaron from 24 gives Kalrami shows the bond that I think the crew has developed or we're led to believe has developed so short into the series. It's only the second season. I really liked that aspect and that look. And I also thought it was funny, as we have talked about a little bit, that isn't it odd that they're using the lasers for laser tag, but the one hit from the Ferengi fused them so they can't go back to regular weapons? I mean, I think that that was just a, a brilliant, brilliant tactical move on the part of the Ferengi's targeting systems to be able to do that. So I think that um, I like Data's look at the end playing Stratagema where he's just got his eyes wide open and he's just got that little grin on his face, non-Android mo- move, but he's got that little grin on his face as he's matching step for step with Kolrami during the game. I really like that too. I felt it was important to call those out because I mean, we've spent a little bit of time ripping on some of the elements of this episode, um, but there really are some great things here. I mean, the performances of Roy Brocksmith and, and Jonathan Frakes alone are fantastic in this episode. Um, I mean, you could always say Patrick Stewart because I mean, Patrick Stewart is one of our greatest living actors, but you know, I think Jonathan Frakes really gets a chance to shine in this episode. And I think it's, it's fantastic. Roy Brocksmith is, is amazing as Cole Rami. Yeah. And I love what he brings to this character. You get so much dimension and, and interesting things about this guy, even in just the first few minutes he's on screen. And I think that really sets the tone for the rest of the episode, uh, despite all the gruntiness. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do that anymore. Um, and honestly, it, this is probably one of my my most tolerable Wesley outing simply just because he's not the hero of the day necessarily. The whole episode doesn't hinge on Wesley doing the right thing and saving everybody. Um, and I really like what this does for Jordy. So, um, yeah, go I want to, I want to add to what you just said about Wesley. I, I agree with what you said. The other thing I like is he gets a dressing down and he's pretty embarrassed at one point. He's making a comment to Jordy about how they're going to get creamed. And he says that while he's still on intercom with Riker and Riker does not like that very much and says, well, maybe you can go back to the enterprise. I thought that was a humbling moment for Wesley. So I did like that. And one of my favorite lines of this episode comes from Riker himself when he says, remember, Captain Riker's never lost. (laughs) <laughs> I like that bravado of his. I thought that was pretty good. Well, I think this episode shows us that arrogance um, has no place, you know, whether it's Kolrami's or Wesley's or or really anybody in this episode, you know, that the, the Ferengi, for example, they're very arrogant in this episode. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a great example of how if people, you know, seek to understand what's really going on and don't, you know, rely on arrogance first, um, it really kind of gives you the upper hand. That's just me, though. You're wonderful. Oh, your face is wonderful. <laughs> uh, speaking of wonderful faces, Mr. Garcia, you look fantastic tonight. Have I mentioned that? It's the candlelight. It makes me look good. <laughs> wow. Uh, I have I have one thing I want to I want to add to this. Yeah. Um. When we when we started, I said there was a small conflict in here. Uh, with the start and the end. And at the very beginning, when we Picard said, you know, hey, you know, we are explorers. We're not combat oriented. And 
then later on in the same episode, Riker says, you know, nobody said being out here uh, uh, that life was safe. I thought there was a little bit of conflict because obviously we have the foresight of additional, what, 12 years of Star Trek? Yep. And, or more than that, uh, 14 years. Um, in this orientation at this early stage that we're explorers and we don't want to do, com- or we shouldn't have to worry about combat in Starfleet, that has cost them lives over the 14 years. Mm-hmm. And to have them say that those two lines in the same episode kind of gives you an aspect that of the difference of philosophy between Picard and Riker. Picard's like, we're explorers, and Riker agrees, but when Riker's on his own, he goes, hey, life's not safe out here, and it makes you wonder in the back of his mind if he go if he thinks this was the right thing, it was something they should be preparing for. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but I think you're right about that. Dan, what do you think? Oh, I totally agree. I think it's uh, it's... I find it interesting that we can get this type of philosophical view of an episode from from you know I don't mean this in a in a bad way when I say Dan but some of that we don't expect. I mean we we have conversations with Dan all the time and we joke around on instant message when we chat and everything. But to get a, an explanation and a thought process of that is actually something that I really appreciate and I like it when we see these types of conversations taking place based on what we talk about here on Trek Geeks. That's something I had not considered at all, Dan, because I didn't catch it. Um, so that's, that's pretty awesome stuff. Thank well, you. Well, you know, going back and looking at our See It or Skip It episode on TNG Season 2, Dan, we both gave this episode a See It, which I had forgotten about. Your comments... Fun War Games type episode. I liked Kolrami and Stratagema. Good episode. Hathaway is cool, too. There you go. So sticking you, with it. You're pretty much sticking with it. Yeah. Mine was, this episode is fun. Save the Wesley Trek in the middle. I've kind of come around on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, a little bit. B- because it probably is the best example or the best of the Wesley Treks, at least in my opinion. Uh, Mr. Garcia, thank you so much for joining us this week. It's an honor and a, and a, a privilege to have you here. Um, how might people find you and Trek Geeks Game Night on the interwebs? Trek Geeks Game Night is part of the Trek Geeks YouTube feed, so that's the that's the that is the place to get it. Uh, getting a hold of me would probably be easiest to get through Trek Geeks. I pay attention to Trek Geeks more than I pay attention to my Facebook feeds, and contrary to your wishes, I'm still not on Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> you are just you have a dead account. <laughs> oh, this is you are correct. It is a dead account because you know. I have enough politics in my life. I don't need it in my Twitter. That's yeah, that's probably true. You are, of course, one of the admins of our uh, our, our Camp Kittimer Facebook group as well. Um, people can always stalk you out there if they're looking for you or Trek Geeks Game Night. Or, or Trek Geeks Discord feed, because I'm also the supervising and admin on that one, too. Indeed go. he is. And uh, Davidson, we know where we can find you week after week after week. I busted him up. <laughs> oh my god i hate that line so much. i thought that was the line you were going to say you hate more than bye bye hathaway so that shocked me <laughs> no no i i hate that bye bye hathaway <laughs> so what just, you say it is it's, great it's a delivery on it you know it's it's, it's almost as memorable as human <laughs> the way shatner says that at the end of star trek human. of all the souls i've encountered in my travels this was the most oh. human yeah. <laughs> and at the top and bottom of his jaw move in separate directions. Looks like Billy Idol. 
<laughs> White wedding. <laughs> wow. Well, Dan, of course, of course, Dan Davidson, I mean, we would be, you know, the worst people on the planet, completely remiss and just negligent if we didn't tell people how much we love five-year mission. They who provide every last bit of music you hear on the Trek Geeks podcast. You know, we love these guys so much that um, they're now a part of our podcast network. Five-year mission, the podcast recently released episode five. Um, and I tell you what, man, they are, they are moving at warp speed. It's, it's really great. And it's a, a show that I know I love to listen to and not just because they're on the Trek Geeks network. Um, but you know, you can get all their music at fiveyearmission.net and you can get their podcast pretty much, well, everywhere you get podcasts, even at trekgeeks.com. So, uh, subscribe, go buy their CDs and become a huge fan. Just like Dan and I are fiveyearmission.net. I got to say, it's pretty awesome having them on the network because they are all a great bunch of guys. They put up with our shenanigans and we put up with their shenanigans. Shenanigans. Shenanigans, baby. You know, speaking of shenanigans, I was watching an episode the other day and and I got to say, this guy, he certainly was a ladies man, wasn't he, Bill? After all, as, as soon as he beamed aboard the Enterprise, he was hitting on Terry Hatcher. Uh, he, he He's an interstellar drumming phenomenon, but... He's wanted. He was wanted on two planets for for bad things, very bad. Um, when all interested parties beamed aboard, it was up to Picard to sort out the outrageous mess that was going on. But even that storyline couldn't save this episode from Data trying to learn about humor from a horrendously unfunny holodeck Joe Piscopo. I think you know where I'm going with this, buddy. Maybe he should have just taken drum lessons from the one and only outrageous Farcona. That's right. We are going to be on stage all week. Don't forget to tip your waitress. Outrageous, Farcona. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing to me that these Farkisms descend to new levels of suck. <laughs> um, the outrageous Farcona. Yes, uh, hey, I I just report on what I see, man. I I I I can't take the credit. Are you drunk? <laughs> Drunk on love from being a friend of yours, pal. Oh, yeah, Barcona. I could have remember when Data's that. That's just <laughs> <laughs> all I can see is Data imitating, imitating Jerry Lewis right now. <laughs> yep, and, exactly. Uh, I I need an adult. Outrageous. So, FiveYearMission.net. Go get yourself all their CDs. Physical media is king, and get those albums in your hand because they are fan. Fantastic. Don't forget, of course, that you can support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts, which includes the aforementioned five-year mission, by subscribing to bonus content on Patreon. You know, you're going to get exclusive access to content you're just not going to get anywhere else, like the raw audio for all of the podcasts on the Trek Geeks Network. And by raw, I mean unedited, you know, uh, the un unmixed, all of it. As soon as we record an episode, it gets uploaded to Patreon for you to put in your ears. Plus, I mean, you can see the annual supporters pinned from fan sets and, you know, a whole bunch of other perks, Dan. I always thought when you said raw audio that we'd be like listening to Eddie Murphy. <laughs> no? Okay, anyway. What? Uh, what? What is it with you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, we'd like to. Okay, I got to get back to the copy here. Be quiet. Oh, that'd be um, a first. Yeah. <laughs> we'd like to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for your support. Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, 
Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. Oh, gracious and wonderful. Aye. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escadero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, and the lovely and talented Just Fashion. You too can become producer on the Trek Geeks Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today. Next week, Dan, it's a return to our favorite space station and a deep dive into one of the very best episodes about our beloved Cardassian spy. I mean, Taylor, I mean, spy. Hmm. I mean, Taylor, Hmm. you know. I know. Uh, This may be the best episode of season two and quite possibly the best Garrick episode of the entire series. But then again, what episode with Andy Robinson isn't? One of the best. Anyway, next week we will tackle irritability, paranoia, hatred, addiction, and lies. You'd think it was just a day in the life of Bill and Dan, but no, it's The Wire next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. It's amazing. I hadn't read that intro setup as you did it, and I'm thinking to myself, as you're naming off all those qualities, I'm like going, irritability, Dan, paranoia, Dan, (laughs) hatred, Dan, addiction and lies, Dan, Dan, Dan. Wow. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't think of you for any of that. Love of course, you. <laughs> love you. Um, <laughs> for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the other member podcast, the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. In addition to us, there's Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, Politrex, Five Year Mission, Rewind. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody. Oh, Trek Geeks Game Night on our YouTube channel, which we were just talking about. Gee, why would that one fall out of your brain? I don't I don't know, honestly. And we recently announced a forthcoming podcast with uh, Shashan Kavaru and Ali Martinez, the 24-year-old Trek geek, called Who is Trek? It's one that we're very excited about. It's going to be a deep dive into a single character for a single episode. So that's all going to be found at trekgeeks.com and wherever you get podcasts in your ears. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 197 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Ton of coke. Remember I started the episode talking backwards? What? So wait, coconut backwards is ton of coke? Ton of coke. So what, it was a Scarface? Ton of coke. Ton of coke. Ton of coke. I tell you what, I go sit and tell you, saw that bad, huh? That was my that was my bad impersonation of Scarface. That was really terrible. Yeah, well, I was I gotta work on that. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bong bing! Really? I'm just going to... I'm going to talk backwards the whole show. That would be the most intelligent you've ever sounded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
All I can think of is Ace Ventura. Let's see that and replay. <laughs> All I can think of is the Missy Elliott song, Work It. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm uh, functioning at peak performance. That would be a first. Well, that's kind of a little tie-in, but whatever. Yeah, it was dumb. <laughs> kind of like your, your fa- face. Uh, look at that. We both said it just about at the same time. That's pretty Except good. Except I finished, so. Uh, what? That's the first time for everything. Anyway. Uh, uh, Great. Uh, thank you, everyone. Good night. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a fun episode. It really is. Um, although I'm surprised. Uh, I'm really kind of surprised you think Wesley cheated. We'll get into that. Yeah, I do. Well, I mean, technically, we've already gotten into it. I know, but we'll get into it more. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, I see what you're saying. All right. Okay, yeah, that's right. It's the outtake, so it's already... Yeah. It's the outtake. <laughs> I, I always have thought that. And, and and as I watched it again, I was getting irritated. I'm like, this shouldn't be happening. They, he's cheating. He's cheating. If they win, he cheated. It's. I just don't. I don't like what he did. And and he goes, "Oh, I didn't cheat. I improvise." <laughs> Commander Riker, too soon for this. No, you cheated, you little brat. <laughs> I'm from Starfleet. We don't lie, except when I'm trying to take an experiment off the Enterprise. <laughs> and let's just carry it off away from Aaron when smart with the smirk on your face, like, "Yeah, I pulled the wool all over their eyes." <laughs> I love how we call him Aaron and not Burke. I know. He'll <laughs> <laughs> always be Aaron oh. to me. But, you know, if this were, you know, a real situation where, you know, they were trying to, you know, if they were really in a, a conflict of sorts and not in a war game, that's a, that's a thing that would be on the table. I but mean... It was, but it was a war game. But it was. But the idea was to create a situation where this ship could become ready somehow. Shut up, Wesley. My name's not Wesley, it's well, Bill. shut up anyway, because you're wrong. <laughs> Wow, people say no, see, I love no, to be right. No, see, you know, I gotta, I gotta correct myself. I'm sorry. There is no wrong. There are opinions, and everybody is uh, has their opinions, and 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 we're all we're all LLAP here, IDIC. So yeah, you're entitled to your opinion, even though it sucks. <laughs> I knew you were gonna. I knew you were gonna say something like that because that's just the way you. Because you, well, no, you just did. I know, but I just apologized and took it back and walked it back and threw it back and. Hey, Threw stab back you, stab like you in that. the back, whatever you want to say, man. I would love to stab you in the back. Oh my god! I and I do it with a spoon. What? Ooh. <laughs> now let me ask you this: What would drive you more crazy? Me acting like Call Rami all the time with, <laughs> or the triple? Dirt of I hate Serena <laughs> Jones. I think you've got your answer. Okay. The problem with the with the Kalrami thing is that most of the time it's not loud enough for your microphone to pick up. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, I mean, unless you're doing it at an absurdly loud volume, which wouldn't sound right. No, that's not dumb. Yeah. Um, right. So, I like kind of, him. Yeah. He's cool. Well, him and his weird hairline. Hairline. And, makeup. And, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I expect him to start snorting like Sheldon. Yes. That on Big Bang Theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to play Stratagemma <laughs> Stratagemma on Benicia <laughs> Jeez Well, you know, we really shouldn't laugh at our own jokes That just makes the podcast horrible, Bill 
<laughs> Whoa. Whoa, that's a deep cut. That's that's what we haven't heard in a while. I know, really. Oh gosh. Well, that's it's funny. because I'm you know I'm overly professorial and sentimental. Oh, God, God so I love this episode. You're such a drama queen. Low end podcaster. Low end podcaster. Oh, wow. I don't know. So low end that we're about to cut our 200th episode in a couple of weeks. I, just yeah, throwing I, that out there. I, I, it, hey, you know what? We're putting out Star Trek content. It doesn't take us seven years to do an episode. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> you still have the only Aries Studios that has ever turned out regular Star Trek content. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that. And it hasn't cost anybody a dime. I know. Yeah. You didn't require $1.5 million. Mm. This would have been the po- the podcast. I would have come to your house and broadcast all, every night if that was the case, which probably no. would have been a bad thing. No, because you would have gotten to see Abby in the living room. We never would have made it past that. She you would have just been did. puppy belly the whole that night. Would be like my little yeah. Abby, she likes me. I know you. Oh, Abby <laughs> loves you. I love that dog. <laughs> she's she's a little whiter in the face now. Yeah, yeah, no. She's she's uh, she's actually going to be ten at the end of the, on Friday. Mm-hmm. Callie just turned 12 uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Halloween, actually. Yeah. Halloween day. Yep. And uh, she looks young. She looks 10 years younger than Aria. Aria's an old maid. She goes to bed at like 8 o'clock. She looks at us when we're sitting in the living room and she just walks into the bedroom and goes and lays in her bed. That sounds delightful. <laughs> I would love to go to bed at 8 o'clock. You yeah, I me? know, huh? Oh, gosh. All right, buddy. Were you, uh, you ready to do this? Yeah, this is going to be fun. Or it already uh, was fun because we're in the outtake now, but you know what I mean. It's the timey-wimey thing. I got it. Shut up and read the copy.